0: Welcome to The Fight with Teddy Atlas, presented by Dynamic Striking. I'm Ken Rideout, joined as always by the voice of combat sports, the legend, Teddy Atlas. Teddy, how you doing? I'm good.
1: You know, uh, I know you're getting ready to go across the desert, so I just want to quickly say good luck, because I probably won't see you until after you get out of the desert. And, um, <laughs> so good luck, and you're running the. In there with two hundred other members of the lost tribe wandering <laughs> about the the desert. Hope, hopefully, you're not part of the lost tribe. Hopefully, you you wander your way out of the desert the same way as you run your way into the desert. But I'm sure your training has been um, elite and um hard. But what it needs to be for such a event. Yep. So, Good luck with that.
0: Yeah, I'm ready. The Gobi Desert in Mongolia. I leave on Wednesday, back a week from Sunday. But yeah, uh, speaking of a week from Sunday, uh, good weekend for um, boxing uh, versus the UFC for a change. It looks like we got the better fights. Boxing put on the better uh, fights, at least from a competitive standpoint. Talent always deep as ever in the UFC. But man, we had two incredible fights this weekend, Teddy, and I know you're dying to speak about them, but let's jump right into it and talk about the... The, um josh taylor versus tiafimo lopez fight you know we had talked about um all the all the intangibles like the psychological state of both fighters and to be honest with you in the lead up to the fight with some of the interviews tiafimo was doing where he actually got in a verbal altercation with his own father during a mark kriegel interview on espn i lit- i think i texted you and rob i said bet the farm on taylor it just looked like Tia Fimo was having like a, 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 a psychological meltdown yeah, right in front everyone of everyone. Everyone thought
1: that, not just you. But I didn't think that. I tweeted, yeah. I'll read you my tweet. I tweeted, okay. I had a lot of tweets out there. I know you read them, and I know a lot of people read them, and I'm, I'm glad they did. Um, but I tweeted that Lopez has the same ability, I believe, as Floyd Merriweather did to perform under emotional chaos because for them, it's almost normal. They've lived in it. And I, I, I guess it turned out to be along those lines, because I don't see any of this stuff out there in that crazy place called the internet, unless somebody, you know, brings it to my attention, right? And, um, but I got a little something to pick in from in between my teeth, or my toes, or, you know, um, whatever, whatever excuse for being rude, Uh, for a moment is because I, I wasn't comparing his talent to Floyd's or his boxing style to him, obviously, or saying he's as good as Floyd. I was just making one point. He handles emotional stress like him when there's a fight. But I swear, Ken, there's many morons out there, you may have noticed, who truly are just, dumb, or or they're straight up haters, Uh, whatever it is, for whatever reason. You'll never meet a
0: successful person who's spending their time talking shit or hating other people on Twitter. So when you tweet, when you tweet something
1: successful,
0: I mean, and I'm just telling the haters out there, when you're tweeting something negative, just because you got nothing better to do, if you have a gripe, it's cool to air your grievance or disagree, but just to talk shit and spread hate, you're a loser. You have nothing else going on. I would never waste my time trying to be nasty to someone, 100%. ever.
1: For whatever reason, jealousy, they're unhappy with their lives, you just touched on it, whatever. and But they contort my words into what they want them to say, that I'm comparing the two fighters' careers or talents. Listen, dimwits, read. If you're actually even able to read, if you know how to read, I'm actually read what I'm at least saying it's a f- it's a free country beautiful country f- those freedoms it's your prerogative say whatever you want but at least be <laughs> accurate a- at least know what the hell I'm saying before you making an embarrassing stupid comment dummy i i mean if, if you're going to make a comment be aware what the freaking you're com- commenting on.
0: <laughs> How about this for a comment, Teddy? Let me clarify something. Are you trying to f- def- uh, compare Tia Fimo and Floyd? Are you suggesting that Tio's the kind of fighter Floyd was? Answer: No, I'm not. I'm just telling you they have a similar mentality. And the same
1: thing. Answer, that's, dummy. That, that's Reed, a simple question. Read and and listen real quick. Over the weekend, I usually you don't know, do this. I don't know why I am, but. Uh, This past weekend, there was the Hall of Fame inductions, the new ones. And two of the people, I I don't always think everyone, quite frankly, and I try to be very frank whether people like it or not, but I think a lot of people come here for that. Um, There's some people and fighters that just don't deserve to be in a Hall of Fame. But, you know, it is what it is. Uh, Maybe I don't deserve. I don't know. But, um, you know, whatever. But these two did deserve to be in. I'd like to spend probably about 40 seconds saying why. Uh, it's Tim Ryan and Tim Bradley. Now, Tim Ryan, the broadcaster, was a broadcaster and partner with Gil, uh, Gil Clancy, who was a trainer, uh, like I was. Uh, they were the voices of boxing for CBS during, I guess it was during the 80s, when boxing enjoyed perhaps... It's healthiest time since the 30s, 40s, 50s, when some of the greatest fighters ever were actually fighting each other. And they were terrific. And they were professional. They were solid. And for all the titles and good fighters that Bradley, Tim Bradley, has beaten, including a couple of Hall Famers, it was A fight that nobody's probably going to... They're going to be shocked I'm going to say this. But it's his fight for me with a non-Hall of Famer that showed why he should be in the Hall of Fame one day. And that day came, of course, on the weekend. Because he simply, on that night, he refused to lose on a night where many fighters would have either been knocked out or just not gotten off the stool when he was brutally batted by a heavy-handed Russian named Ruslan Provotnikov, who had fought on my air many times, and I caught his fights. Bradley was concussed. He was out on his feet from the first round on. Yet he lasted the distance simply because he refused not to. And, but here's the thing. There's, he's got some company with people like that. A little bit, he does. But... Where he separated himself was, he didn't just survive that night, which would have been pretty significant enough, but actually he continued to take enough risks to win the fight. That night almost ended his career, but it didn't. He was too tough, too determined to allow it. He refused to be taken, and I talk about this all the time, he refused to be taken down that dark corridor into the black room at the end of it which is where fighters go when they are knocked out. But instead, he continued to move in the other dis- direction, to where there was light, and in doing so, he now walks down another hall, a hall of boxing fame. So I just thought it was worth saying that for the reason that I said it. And um, also, he did have one extra thing, Tim Bradley, going for him. Uh, An X Factor that not everyone has. He had a great supporting family, a wife, and um, who I happen to know firsthand that he did. Uh, A wife and a family that was very, very important during those times, during all times for him in his career, but especially those times in their support and their belief in him. So anyway... Let's get to, what do we got, Teofimo Lopez, Josh Taylor, you know, Teofimo 25 years old, Josh Taylor 32 years old, you know, Teofimo, as you said, Ken, I mean, you're right. You sent me that text, you're very forthright about it. You said bet the farm on Taylor, and I bet you a lot of people went to my bookie and bet the farm. I didn't bet the fuck.
0: You know how you can tell they did because the line at the start of the fight, I think it opened, Taylor was a slight favorite at the opening when we first started breaking down the fight a few weeks ago. But at the right before the fight started, I think he was as high as a a minus 225 to 250 favorite, two and a half to one. And I mean, for all intents and purposes, Tiafimo beat the brakes off him. He outboxed them all night. Well, oh, not according I
1: mean, to two judges. We'll get to that more later. We'll get, we'll but, get to but, that. But we'll, get, uh, we'll get to that more later. Why are you making me yell so early? In this show? <laughs> I just wanted Why this Why?
0: I wanted to give the fans perspective, or at least my perspective of how I saw the fight, and then hear what you have to say. Because what I saw, and again, I don't watch it from a judge's perspective. I watch it like a fan. And when I look at that fight, I'm like, I'd rather be Tiafimo after basically every single round. And I and I had no. Bias. If anything, I might have leans, leaned slightly towards Taylor, but my God, it was, it looked like a boxing exhibition. Sure, ta- Taylor has a. Rob con- will clearly- get the
1: cards. Rob will get those two judges' yeah, cards. I've and got listen, here too. two judges, two judges can, that if you go out and sign the petition we have for the National Commission, that on. The Monday after the National Commission is formed, they will receive pink slips. Do you know what a pink slip (laughs) is? That means that that your services for work are no longer needed around here. (laughs) So long. don't let
0: the door hit you in the ass. And and don't
1: let the door hit you on the backside on the way out.
0: Let me say this before I turn it over to you is that when I looked at that fight, I'm like, okay, you could find a few rounds for Taylor if you really tried. And I'm not, again, I have only no bias early one rounds. or the other. Only, the, only
1: right. the early rounds.
0: But I'll tell you this. I'll say for Josh Taylor, my God, that dude is tough. He took a freaking beating. He was frustrated. Well, he I think was almost late.
1: out. He was almost out in the 10th round. Yeah, I mean, he was, yeah. Uh, left, he uh, 12th round, 12th round. 12th.
0: Incredible toughness. And... Um, my god like you said with the judges if Teofimo does not win that last round so decisively we have a freaking well, draw. The scary you, thing. How is this even that's like this why is I'm a monster screaming. fight but here's the other frustrating thing from the promotion side is this is a mega fight they're fighting in the freaking the theater at Madison Square Garden, I mean, I don't know if the fans just don't care about these guys or the promotion did a bad job, but this seems like a, the biggest injustice of the night. Not a pay-per-view fight, for, but we've got Broner the night before on a pay-per-view fight against some attorney. Well, I'm glad it was not um, pay-per-view.
1: I'm glad I, it was free I could have
0: bought a, I could have bought a second round ticket for the Taylor Lopez fight the day before the fight, $1,000, unheard of, unheard of. Second row for a fight of that magnitude, $1,000. It's a shame because those guys deserve to make a lot more money for the quality of. There's uh, fight plenty of people on.
1: as they hear that they're saying the prices are over, uh, over, that that the prices are too high to begin with. That a thousand should be should be the highest.
0: I don't disagree. That's that's a fair argument. But I will say I look at the prices for every fight because I love going to the fights. Yeah, the no, niche.
1: comparatively, but I get it. You Relatively, couldn't sit, you're right.
0: You couldn't sit in the first fifty rows at a UFC fight for a thousand bucks. Second row at the theater? I mean, you're practically working the corner at that seat.
1: I'll tell you another thing to put a light on. In, in, the, well, in the breakdown, the analysis of the fight beforehand, I picked, it was a hard pick, but I picked Tiofimo. We, I had to make a pick. I picked Tiofimo. And, you know, I, not with great confidence, but I picked him because, A, as I said earlier, and I tweeted this day before the fight and the day of the fight that I thought if anyone could handle that kind of emotional turmoil, it would be him. Much like Floyd Mayweather used to always handle it. He used to handle it the way he eat Cheerios in a breakfast with milk. I mean, like it was nothing. And I just also felt, as I said, that he was more talented, that that Taylor was more buttoned up technically in a lot of ways but and more traditionally but that Lopez was just more just just had more ability more explosive quicker faster and when i say explosive faster better puncher and I, explosive sudden quick yep. quick twitch if you want you know fibers muscles and so that, that played out. I'm not always right, but I, that one I was, I was on. Uh, and again, not strong, strong because of all the craziness that was going on. But one thing that it also we highlighted, and we were on a button with this, Ken. You asked me a very, just a very pertinent question at the time. You said, Teddy. Who do you think the promoters want to win? If it comes down to a decision, who do you think the promoters will want to win? And I said well, I think probably Taylor. Because you were, right their, on
0: the, you were right on the money there.
1: All the trouble that he that him and his father, Lopez and his father has, you know, created for them, uh, not being loyal, you know, leaving, coming back, the whole whatever. The whole thing. Other fighters have done it too, but the whole thing, and the way his stock had dropped up into this fight. His stock had dropped. He lost to Camposus. He struggled in his fight. His last fight with Martin. uh, The same way Taylor struggled in his last fight, too, where I thought both of them could have lost those fights. Easily. But, but at the end of the day, I said, they probably want Taylor. He can make money across the pond. You know, he's easier to deal with from at least on the surface, from what we can see. And sure enough, I said, if that's true, they're going to position their guys, their judges. They're going to go to the ballpen, and they ain't bringing Mario and Rivera out of there. You know, Ken?
0: They, ain't, they, <laughs> they, they better they, not bring <laughs> him out if they're facing the Red Sox.
1: They're, they're, not, bringing, yeah, they're not bringing him out. They're, they're bringing their judges out there to do their business. To do their business, and it's not good business. It's not. Nope. It's dirty business.
0: They did their best, though. They should. They should keep using those guys because they will go to the friggin'. They'll go to hell. Use them them. a lot.
1: Well, listen, Ken. Use them a lot because once we get this national uh, commission passed in Congress, once we do that again, their days are numbered. They're done. Adios, baby. They're done. And really, the fans. I'll say it one more time. I don't want to hear you complain anymore if you don't do something about it. Here's an opportunity to do something about it. Don't be lazy. Don't shrug your shoulders and say, ah, it ain't going to help. No, it's a chance to do something. And if you're affiliated with the people that are doing wrong, then I guess you don't want to do it wrong. And if you're part of that media out there that don't want to talk about it, and plenty have talked about but if you're part of the ones that your bills get paid by promoters so you don't want to go against them because you have uh, an agenda to be on their side, the, you know, because they don't want things changed. They, have, they love it the way it is, business as usual. And, you, and if you're dependent on those promoters to keep your websites going because you get advertising money, from. I guess you're not going to be man enough or professional enough to talk about it. You're going to ignore it the same way as the people that don't want it are going to ignore it. But if you're not part of that, If you're just part of our fan base, look, we got over 200,000 views on our podcast when we put this up, that podcast, uh, after the Lomachenko-Haney fight, and we got like 9,000 signatures. Now, listen, that's a lot of signatures somewhere in that neighborhood, but that's not the right number. If 200,000 years really can, I mean, you don't have to be a mathematician to figure out that ain't the right number. If two hundred thousand were watching, how is only nine thousand signing the freaking petition? Come guys on, guys like
0: Lopez right now should be out there saying, "Listen, let's at least get a fair judging system." Lopez almost got robbed from that fight; like it was, it's insane. If, uh, if you you're imagine, right. if they if gave that do, to Josh, say Taylor it again, or a draw, yell it from the mountain, yell
1: the truth from the mountaintops. If he doesn't win that twelfth, the way he does. uh well, was, am I correct with those two? Yeah, right? It would have, been a, it it would have been a draw. It would have been a <laughs> draw. would have been a draw.
0: It was, I mean, which
1: is crazy. And, Team Fimo won not, that
0: fight easily. And, and
1: look, unfortunately, huh, unfortunately, we talk about these things too often. Too often. But to get back, they're back. All right? They're back. Our favorite dysfunctional family. <laughs> right yep. uh, the Adams family the Adam the <laughs> boxing version of the Adams family <laughs> Theo the, the, the and his dad are back and then top rank right got to deal with it <laughs> they got to deal with it they they're back baby
0: what and, a crazy um, relationship. Imagine knowing that your promoter like genuinely wanted you to lose the fight. Like, how do you have a conversation with them the next week, the next fight? Yeah, who do you got for me? Now we got someone this time we know can beat you. <laughs> like they're trying to get him knocked off.
1: You're a businessman. How's this for an idea to make money? How's this? I know ESPN's ratings haven't been great because they don't put, I mean, look at that undercard. Look at what they put on really i mean but week in and week out if you don't get the big fight you get you just get you get taken advantage of you get you get one side of fights one side of beat downs for the guys that they sign up they want to be future champions so they just feed them raw meat but we get good fights once in a while but if espn if they want and if top rank wants to really cash in on this thing Here's a little piece of advice. Go ahead, you could do it. You don't even have to send me a check. Uh, start a reality show with t o and his father, and follow <laughs> them around. Put a camera crew together and the
0: problem fo- with that is Tmo's dad would would tell them that the price tag is fifty million. <laughs> well
1: f- figure it out and and follow them around. you know call it uh, for you know there could be two versions the the domestic version over here. Uh, and the international version of, to my our brothers and sisters across the pond, you know that version would be tea with T.O., <laughs> right? <laughs> tea and muffins, uh, whatever with T.O. and and the you know and the other one could be just T.O. time, or as the world crashes with T.O. Remember the world turns. This would be as the world <laughs> as the world tilts. As the world tilts.
0: Teddy, the sad part about all this, and you know this, and we've talked about this, is Tiafimo is a really nice kid. Outside oh, of the boxing kid, and the craziness. But he's a great kid. He's a nice kid. He's just being I told dragged you that. down by I the dad. I said I was I the know. first one to
1: say that. And, yep. But listen, hey, can you knock him being loyal to his father, though? Can you really knock that? Even if it's insanity to us, can you knock that he's loyal to his father? And, and his father had something to do I, with his boxing career. I don't know. I get it. I get it. I get it. When someone crosses the
0: line, you tell them, dude, if you keep this up, I just can't do it. You can't just take us both down. It's it's crazy. Well, they're getting their
1: second chance. They're getting their second chance to your point, Ken, and it's a good point. They're getting their second chance now. Let's see if they make changes. I don't think they will, but that's see. Not but I'll chance. say one thing. I will say one thing. The father was more refrained, more controlled, more composed he shut his mouth in a corner instead of giving crazy advice, which he's prone to doing and ridiculous. advice. He, he basically gave no advice. He kept his mouth <laughs> shut and no, no, it was the right thing to do. And he left it up to the genius, his fa- his, his son, the genius, the performer in this case, yep. he, and he said one piece of advice. I think it was after the, I think it was after the second or third round. He said one piece that was brilliant. It was really brilliant. I know some people are going to say, but Teddy, you make, you're kidding around because, you know, he didn't really give him advice. No, no. It was the right advice from him. He said to him, figure it out. <laughs> he did. He <laughs> said, no, no, but he did. He said, figure, figure him out. That's what he said
0: to be exact. That's what he did too. Like you said, he had the early rounds for Taylor, and then T.O. once T.O. figured him out. There was a moment where Teal did like a crazy step with his foot, and he put his hand down, and he started showboating. and I was like, "Oh shit, he's got, he's fig, he th- he thinks and he's Ken, got him."
1: You're right, Ken. And he was. You're right. the The body language was all you needed to see that he said, "I'm the boss." It I was a distinctive
0: guy. moment, right, where he it did some like shuffle, and was. I was like, "Oh shit!" It
1: was Teal's got and, him, and you know, it was, and you know what. He was, the father was right because the son actually immediately responded. You know, I remember, I heard it. The son said, I got him. And he did. He said, I got him. And he did. He had him figured out. Um, You know, I, as far as the analysis of the fight, I'm going to put out there something. Some people are going to probably push back a tiny bit. I don't think much. But a tiny bit, some of the people that maybe think this stuff out a little bit more thoroughly and they think they're onto something, and maybe they are. But they're going to say something like, well, maybe it should have been closer because TiO wasn't doing a lot, of, he wasn't moving his hands a real lot, and the other guy was moving his hands, but the other guy wasn't landing, number one. Number two, I'll tell you why I thought it was not close. T.O. controlled the rhythm of the fight. The other guy had no rhythm, the whatever. But Teal, he controlled, the other guy looked robotic. But Teal created a, a, the rhythm, found the rhythm, had the rhythm of the fight, and he he landed the the more stunning, telling punches, the more effective, all night long. He hurt him several times, and he landed them all night. He was never hurt by Taylor and because of that, that's professional scoring criterion. It's not amateur. Who it's not who throws, it's who lands and who impacts. He landed when he landed. He didn't draw a lot and he impacted. But I'm sure there'll be some and I want to see what you think of this that will say that maybe TO swayed certain people to think it was further apart because of because What's the word I'm looking for? His uh, pizzazz or or, um, flashiness um, because he was more flashy. You made a good point with his body language and dropping his hands sometimes, showing that he was in control, being a little flashy. But for me, he was being effective at the same time. But I'm sure there's some people that are going to say, the other guy was working the other guy was trying the other guy was strong but for me wasn't effective he was he was getting caught and he was fighting a stupid fight and but he was he was trying and there'd be some people that would say well maybe that's why the judges had it close because the other guy got points to the general public for being flashy and i'm gonna knock that down i i get it I can understand you maybe saying that and thinking that um, where it got people, it gets your attention, but it still has to be real. It still has to be effective. It still has to be tangible damage, and the tangible damage was put there by one guy, Teofimo. And I'm gonna say this for the analysis. Teofilo, besides being quicker, more explosive, more instinctual, besides all that and handling the pressure the way he did, he just had a much smarter, more cerebral fight plan. The other guy fought a stupid fight. And I don't like to call people stupid, but he fought a dumb fight. He just walked in cold. And I talked about this in the pre-fight analysis. That neither guy should walk in cold, just walk in. That both got caught with counters in their prior fights and got hurt. And that they should look to counter. They should look to feint. They should look to jab. They should not just walk in cold. And for the most part, Taylor, the Southpaw walked in cold all night. He, he fought a dumb fight. I, I, I even tweeted during the fight, his trainer needs to tell him Look to catch Teo, especially early on. There was spots where Teo was reaching a little bit, lunging a little bit, a little vulnerable. Look to catch him with that Southpaw right hook, the counter hook. Catch him on the way in. Don't go chasing him because you got a quick guy, an instinctual guy, a fluid guy, you know, a guy with quick twitch. If you chase him, you're going to walk into something. Let him come to you. And, and and counter him. Take advantage of some of his reckless aggression early on. Now, later on, that aggression worked for him. Because, like Pacquiao used to do, he jumped in quick enough to get away with it. Very explosive. And it had great results for him uh, against Taylor. But early on, there were spots where you could have caught him coming in. And even later in the fight. But he didn't have that kind of mindset, Taylor. Or that kind of preparation. That kind of fight plan at all. And... And Tio Fimo might have been his own fight plan. He didn't get maybe any help from anybody in camp. But it was the right fight plan. It was an instinctual fight plan. He knew he had to use his speed, his instincts. He knew he had to counter. And you know what? He counter-punched beautifully. He counted this guy coming in. He took advantage of this guy coldly just walking in. And he counted the crap out of him. Um, and And he used the right punches. He used the southpaw killer, the right hand that's effective a lot of times against the lefty. He used that and he mixed it up. He he, he fought a really good fight and I'm going to say something that's going to upset my brothers and sisters across the pond but listen, the truth is the truth. You know, like Howard Cosell the indomitable Howard Cosell used to say (laughs) just, I'm just telling it like it is and I said this earlier, I'm on record. And they didn't like it the same way they didn't like when I said it about their beloved their beloved um who is their beloved heavyweight over there, um that they Joshua. Yeah. Their beloved heavyweight champ, Joshua. I said about him i I'm, I said it about Taylor. They're both overrated. They're overrated. And I said it before this fight. They're overrated. I listen, he's a nice and who did Joshua beat? Martin, a guy named Martin, to win the heavyweight title. And who do you ever, And then he lost to Ruiz, and and then you know, and then he loses twice to a cruiserweight who's a terrific fighter. But I mean, and he's great. He's he's great. You're making but, too much but, sense for them. But but you know, I digress. I, I'll go back to the latest guy that I'm upsetting them about. Taylor. I mean, he, for me. Yeah, he fought a good fight with Prograce. He looked good. That was maybe the best he ever looked, to be honest with you. And Definitely. And with Pedroza was a Pedroza. Um, uh, Valdez was a Valdez, the ESPN fighter. Tough, strong kid, but, but kind of... Uh, he, he got lucky in that fight, I thought, where he dropped him twice, but one time he dropped him with an uppercut because the referee tapped on his back, and Valdez, I think it was was uh, Valdez, uh, Valdez kind of relaxed thinking they were going to break which was his fault you shouldn't do that protect yourself at all times he relaxed and he got caught an uppercut that i thought won the fight uh, i thought that cemented the victory for taylor um you talking about bad, the
0: fight after the pro grace fight he fought um alpion Kopsinong, and then he fought jose ramirez
1: yeah it was, it was ramirez then right yeah he yeah. undefeated ramirez he right? was
0: undefeated yeah 26 and yeah. 0 at the time you yeah. got a unanimous was decision. Yeah, yeah.
1: And, and listen, it was, a, it was a nice win, but I thought he got a little fortunate in that fight, as I just said. But I just, like I said, then I saw him really struggle. I thought he lost in his last fight before the Lopez fight. What was, it? What was that fight against Catero? Jack Catarol. Right? Who's yeah, also I thought he was. like Ramirez, yeah. that's
0: interesting. Yeah. Same exact record. And I thought he record, fought that fight the
1: way he fought this fight. In a way, he, he was better in this fight, but he just walked in. Well, Catero just walked in trying to catch him, and that's what he did for the most part here against Lopez, and he paid for it here. Really paid for it because you know he, he, Lopez could punch more. Although he got dropped against Catero, and he got hurt badly, and he showed a lot of hard surviving that. But I just thought that he was overrated. That. That they you know they they over exaggerate some of these guys' uh, ability before they've really been down the road in enough tests to really truly know if before you stop making them like anointing them to the you know to the Mount Rushmore of fighters, you know uh, uh, talking about them like there's Sugar Ray Leonard and Roberto Duran I mean please. And, and you know, that's how they're going to talk about Lopez now, you know, that he won. Yeah, They're going to over-exaggerate that, too. And listen, I, I just give him all the credit in the world for what he did. But, again, some of it had to do with him, most of it. But some of it had to do with the guy he had in front of him, with Taylor. That Taylor, again, in my estimation, Teddy Atlas's estimation, he wasn't as good as he was... Built up to be, and he fought a dumb, dumb fight. And look, uh, Lopez maybe had something to do with that, obviously. And Lopez gets credit, and he's getting credit right now. You idiot haters out there, idiot (laughs) haters. Uh, uh, Don't start, don't start, you know, don't start flexing my words to where they're what you want them to be. No, he, he was terrific. But just like with some of these other fighters, that's not anoint Lopez as Duran and Leonard and those kind of guys yet give yet you know because last time you did it after the Lomancheko fight what happened what happened you know and I know people say oh maybe he really wasn't right against Kambosis okay but then what about his fight against Sandor Martin where a lot of people thought he lost that fight and he got dropped in that fight so Again, calm down. Let them go down the road a little bit before you start going bonkers. But to finish up with the analysis, first three rounds, close, and then he pulls away. He separates himself. And thank God he did, because otherwise the judges had something for him that wasn't nice. So, you know, he and how does he separate himself? Again, counterpunching, mixing up, using his instincts, being faster, quicker hands, quicker movements, more explosive, it's being cerebral, being whether it's an innate intelligence or a pure intelligence, whatever it is, instinctual intelligence. It's a intelligence in the ring that shows up, and it showed itself, and. I liked the way they conducted themselves after the fight, both him and the father. I told you during the fight, I liked the way the father conducted himself. And after the fight, both of them were much more buttoned up, much, just much more controlled together with, with their comments. And, you know, we can only hope that they stay on that path uh, whatever. It's up to them. They earned the right to do what they want. They got in there. They did the hard part. Um, but that's, I mean, I think I covered pretty much all of it. Um,
0: yeah, that, I, I think you did too. Otherwise, we could beat this thing into the ground. There's so many nuances to talk about with this fight. But one of the highlights, like we've said earlier, was the mental mental health the mental state of the fighters. And, Teddy, one of the best things you can do to work on your mental health is to take care of your physical health by eating a healthy, balanced diet. And the best thing you can do to improve your diet is to incorporate athletic greens go to athleticgreens.com slash atlas and get 10 of these free travel packs with your first purchase athletic greens is an all-in-one green drink that incorporates 75 whole food sourced ingredients basically an insurance policy for your body's health and immunity you get all the vitamins and minerals you need no need for any other supplements a scoop of athletic greens in the morning mixed with your favorite drink of choice and you're good to go. Go to athleticgreens.com slash Atlas and they'll send you 10 free travel packs with your first purchase. I'll be carrying those travel packs across the Gobi Desert. And every single thing I take on that trip has to mean something because I have to carry that stuff for an entire week on my back. So that's how important Athletic Greens is. One of the other things I've done is I've got a ton of audiobooks downloaded because I'm going to bring... Um, an mp3 player listen to audiobooks and one of the ones that i have queued up to listen to for a third time is a great book by my favorite author teddy atlas it's called atlas from the streets to the ring a Son's Struggle to become a man by the great teddy atlas i highly recommend you check this out on audible.com teddy now that we're finished Thank with you. the business let me say one get... thing yes. One
1: thing about uh, before we close the the book if you will since you just Reference my book on Teofimo and Taylor. Taylor specifically, I think I was pretty specific, but I'll, I'll throw in one other. He was long. He has long arms. He's taller. He didn't use that reach. I really felt that he needed to use, and I said it in the pre fight analysis, he needed to use that reach to create distance, to make T O make it hard for TO to get close to him. And make Teo take risks and chances and jump a little bit where that he could catch with a counter, whether it was the kind of left hand or the counter right hook. But he didn't do that. He didn't use his reach at all. At all. And um he paid a price for that. So I that's it. I just wanted to make sure that I tagged that.
0: Um Let's get into a a fight that might have even been a more competitive and uh, entertaining fight. Certainly more action-packed. And that was the young Jaime Munguia in tough against the veteran Derevyanchenko from the Ukraine. Holy crap, what a fight this was. Oh, my God. I was like, you know, I was bouncing back and forth between UFC and Tiafimo Taylor fight. And I, I just spaced out, and all of a sudden I saw a tweet something about Mangia Derevianchenko. So after all was said and done, I went and watched that one on a playback on the zone. Oh my God! Even knowing who won the fight and what the outcome was, that fight was incredible. The chin on Mangia. Derevyanchenko hit him with so many shots. I don't know if if Munguia has a chin made of granite or if Derevyanchenko just can't crack. But my God, Munguia walked through a friggin' inferno of, of punches. And uh, I thought derevianchenko won the fight. Um, he certainly lost the last two rounds and he lost the last one 10-8. I thought Munguia might stop him with body shots in the 12th round. Derevyanchenko showed the heart of a champion just to get to the finishing bell. And Mangia gets the decision, but for my money, Derevianchenko was up big going into the last two rounds. Here's another interesting um, subplot or side note for this fight. Uh, a couple weeks apparently, so the broadcast, the announcers said, a couple weeks before. Um, the fight, Mangia's people offered Derevianchenko money to make it a ten rounder instead of a twelve rounder, and Derevianchenko was adamant and turned down the extra bread and said, "No, no, twelve rounds, twelve rounds." Well, had he gone ten, he's the winner. But who knows? Maybe Mungia picks it up even more. Maybe no, Munguia no, maybe the doubt-
1: judges, maybe the judges adjust, adjust, they pencil go, a little bit. Saying. But but yeah, what it also speaks to is that. Do not allow the La Jolla company to be picking your stocks. Don't allow them to be advising you.
0: Hold on. I do yeah. want to pick them. If they're putting me in the same stocks they're no, buying, no, no. I want but, them. They'll, they'll, no, they'll beg, no, borrow, and steal to but, win.
1: But don't, no, no. Don't let them pick your stocks. Don't allow them to be your chief advisors and everything because they- In terms they of they picking And <laughs> anything because- if they got their way, if Oscar and company got their way, that fight would have been changed to 10 rounds. And then their guy, Mungia, would have, would have lost. He wouldn't have, He needed those last 10. He needed those last two rounds 100%. to win.
0: 100%. I'm giving so, him the benefit so of the doubt and suggesting no. that. How do you know it's 10? Maybe in the 8th, he starts fighting like he did in the 11th. They,
1: they went with money as it was said on the broadcast, as it was announced and documented by the broadcasters, that De La Jolla's people, that McGee's people, went to Derinchenko's people and Derinchenko, and they offered him money to switch from a 12-round title fight to a 10-round, for whatever reason. Maybe they didn't think McGee was in top shape. Whatever it was, maybe maybe they were worried about... uh you know, uh, step up in class. This was a step up in class. It was a step up in cl- It had to be maybe a step up in class, which it was. Whatever it was, they thought they were protecting their investment, their fighter, and they said, please switch it to a 10. <laughs> if Deronchenko's people and him say, yeah, well, you know what? Mungia Deronchenko wins. If the scorecard was the same, if, they, if there was no hanky-panky, if there was no hanky-panky, which is no, always the only, a same. The
0: only argument you could make, maybe Munguia fights a different fight if he knows it's 10 round. Maybe I'm he not making his... that
1: argument. I'm not making that. Well, the way it looked, because yeah. the styles of the fighters. It certainly didn't look like he was taking it easy. No, the styles of the fighters. I go by styles. I go about tangible stuff. <laughs> not about if... But, uh, ooh. <laughs> I saw... What I saw, the style of Devon he's a busy, busy fight. He throws a million punches. And by the way, he's not a puncher. If he was, he might have knocked out McGee. But would he's have, a game have. guy. I mean, he, was, he, he throws a million punches. Shots. He's a puncher machine. He's not a puncher, but he's a volume puncher. He's not a power puncher. But that's why I say it would have been the same because he would have thrown all those punches early on maybe even more because he wouldn't have had to worry about the the championship rounds so he could empty the gas tank even a little more so i think it would have been the same and again if if you if you're looking for a stock investment or you you even if you want to know what the weather is don't ask De la hoya in them because really you'll be you'll be going out there you know with with a tank top and bathing suit you know thinking you're going to the beach and meanwhile you needed an umbrella yeah you, you, you it's raining cats and dogs so really <laughs> and, because, it's raining lefts because, and rights lefts and rights even better <laughs> thank you because again i'm gonna say it again he told he went to derin chenko representing magia and said that switched this to a 10 round if they had listened, if they had got, Derinchenko has too much pride. He wanted that title. He's lost it before. He wanted one more chance, one more bite at the apple. So he wanted that. Even with the money, he didn't care. Extra money, no. I want this title. I think I can win it. And he was right. He, he, he could have won it. And for him, he, if he doesn't turn down that money to go down to 10 rounds, if he doesn't listen to what De La Hoya and them wanted him to do, He wins, and De La Hoya's investment, fighter, protege, that he was trying to protect by switching it in his mind to 10 rounds, he loses. He loses. So thank goodness for Munguia that Darren Schenkel didn't listen to Munguia's representatives because they weren't representing them in a really proper way as it turned out at least I mean nobody you know has complete you know foresight to know that we, we we can't predict the future but man whether they didn't believe in him enough they knew something we didn't know about training whatever but McGee didn't look like training or lack of training was hurt him because he was stronger than munguia i mean stronger than devonchenko and that's why he won the fight in the last couple rounds otherwise you don't win the fight
0: which begs the question of like what the hell were they looking at in training camp he must have looked pretty like out of shape to say like oh we can't do it 12 rounds no no can do let's go for 10 right and what does that do to munguia's mindset going into the fight I mean, knowing all this in advance and what we saw, I would have been comfortable betting on Derevianchenko, and then seeing the result before they announced the scorecards. I'd be like, holy shit, we did it. We got this one. Well, I'll tell nope. you somebody who was confident
1: <laughs> about Devonchenko since you brought it up. Um, my friend and a friend of the show, Pedro Martinez Fraga, he, he told me he, he wanted to make sure he was on record. He sent me a text before the fight. He said, I'm on record, Teddy, Remember? I am picking Devonchenko, and he came close. He came close. He also picked Lopez. To me, he, so he picked a one, winner. He got one out of one. Uh, one out of two. But he came very close to getting the and an underdog too. A, a nice underdog. I didn't but,
0: realize Pedro was such a boxing insider that he. Oh had yeah, that kind well, of he insight. was a
1: former fighter too. He he he's been involved in boxing his whole life and fighting. I mean, he fought to get where he is. There's the fighting attorney. Yeah, he, he fought to get, I mean, this is a man who, you know, uh, came from Cuba. Uh, you know, his 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 mother came over here. They came here from Cuba, as far as the, the bit I know. And, um, you know, he was introduced to fighting at a very, very early age and was around, a, a world champion fighter.
0: My favorite Cuban mantra is, there's nothing you can do to me that Castro has not already done.
1: Yeah, that was a bad, they had some bad times over there. And thank God for the United States of America that That's a right. lot of them risked their lives, risked their, and lost Hell their yeah. lives, some of them, to get here, to come to this beautiful free country. And a lot of fighters that never, you know, they could, they, they could only be Olympic fighters over there. Which didn't amount to getting taking care of their families, where it, it, it didn't result in that or a better life for their families. But they they risked and they came here. They defected. They came here, and a lot of them became world champions and and wealthy, uh. You know, to because uh they came here and because of course they were good and they worked very hard.
0: Those are the ones oh, we yeah, hear so about. But I think a lot for. about immigrants, and I think a lot of times it's lost on us. As Americans, that when people are immigrants, I think we should have a legal immigration system. Don't get me wrong, but it, I think that it's lost on a lot of people that these people are fleeing like a violent, uh, a lot of times, dictator-controlled country. They don't speak the language. They don't have any money. And you're just like, oh, once I get there, I'll figure 100%. It
1: out. 100%. But a lot of them get taken advantage because it's not of a legal system. Of course. A lot of them get in, you know, this horrible, uh, you know, human trafficking where they get raped and, and that, tortured. That part I of the mean, it's, system it's is horrible. not
0: publicized enough. Is well, that no, not enough. There are people and, and on listen, the other side of the border we, taking we can't advantage.
1: Take care of, we, and we can't take care of our own people here. There has to be a system. Because we have so many people. My foundation helps a lot of people. And not more than any others, but we do our part. So I know what I'm talking about. The people, we have a food pantry, my foundation, that we feed people. Because there's people in this country that don't have enough food. So we have to take care of those needs before we can just completely, completely be open to having everyone. There has to be... A system. I want to take care of everyone, but there has to be a proper system to do it right. But anyway, again, we digress for a second into that, but into an important, into an important thing in life, and an important fight in life. But getting back to the analysis now of this terrific fight that's a candidate for Fight of the Year now, Mungu and Deverenchenko, f- a couple things. I had picked Munguia to win. And the reason why I picked him to win. Simple. 11 years younger. I just thought youth would eventually be served. And it almost wasn't. But it was. (laughs) I think youth won the fight for him. And heart. And grit. And a great chin. And they both fighters showed that heart and grit. Both of them. And they deserve nothing but accolades for that. They both behave like champions. But... I thought that youth served Munguia in the end. That the younger guy was able to prosper because he was younger. And and he was determined. It was all those other things too. It wasn't just youth. But I I felt that it showed throughout the fight that Devon Shekho, I know he's only got like 19, 20 fights, but he had a lot of amateur fights. He... He's had a lot of miles on the old down and a lot of tough pro fights. And he's 37 years old. And I thought, Ken, during the course of the night that age <laughs> showed. What I'm talking about showed. That his knees, his legs were, were betraying him. That his legs were getting old. Right in front of our eyes. Buckling. His heart wasn't getting old. But his legs were getting old. Right in front of us. And then of course, in the last two rounds. And then, of course, the last round where the commentator, he was a little erroneous, I believe. He said it was a left hook to the liver. A lot of times it is. This was to the solar plexus. It was to the middle of the stomach. It was to the same place that the great, great Bob Simmons in the 1920s, he was middleweight. Listen to this, Ken. Middleweight, light heavyweight, and heavyweight champ of the world, Bob Fitzsimmons. <laughs> uh, most crazy. of our fans, a lot of them won't even know about him. The, the historian ones will. But you get a little history here sometimes. And I know fans like it, at least a lot of them do. They tell me, or they tell somebody. But they... And it gets back to me, put it that way, you know, to the bottle on the shore. I'm walking the shore, you know, walking sometimes thinking to myself, I'm walking, I love the beach, and I see a bottle <laughs> float up on the beach. And I open up the bottle, and in the bottle, in the bottle is a note, Teddy. <laughs> Keep talking about the old fighters on your podcast with Ken. Uh, I'm
0: imagining you, Teddy, walking on the beach in Staten Island with one of those metal detectors and, like, a disguise on looking for buried treasure or something that someone Yeah, no metal detector, but I'm just
1: walking. I'm just walking, lost and walking. (laughs) And the police...
0: The song in the background is "The Police" "Message in a Bottle." You know that song, "Message in a Bottle." Doo-doo. Yeah, of <laughs> they, they sing it with a better tune, but
1: yeah, I get it. I get it. Uh, and and listen, the end of the day, Devrientchenko, he, I mean, he was he throws a million punches. Uh, he was winning the fight. Why? He was landing more. Um, of course, McGeer, there were a lot of close rounds. McGeer hurt him several times. But Deronchenko hurt McGee in the fifth round. It was an extraordinary show of courage, resiliency, and behavior of a champion <laughs> that allowed McGeer to survive that fifth round. To survive that fifth round the way he did. Where he... He refused to be dropped. He refused to be gone. He just found a way to get through. He was hurt. The guy's not a huge puncher, but he hit him a lot of volume. And he survived. And then came back in the sixth and won the round. His recovery skills reminded me of Arturo Gatti. The way that man used to get hit and recover so quickly. It was just extraordinary. And to finish off about Bob Fitzsimmons, he invented to a certain, and put it this way, he made it his signature punch. If he didn't invent it, he made it popular. He brought to light the solo punch. Back in those days, people didn't understand the anatomy to that degree that you hit a guy in the middle of the stomach, in the pit of the stomach, and you knock his wind out. It's a soloplex punch. He understood it, and he actually made a living and won titles just aiming a punch to the solar plexus and completely disabling fighters back in the 20s. So that was the punch. It was to the solar plexus in the middle of the stomach that Devin got caught with. And again, just like Mungee in the fifth round showed extraordinary toughness, heart, resiliency, character to survive, well, Devon Schenkel showed the same thing. He might not be technically a champion, <laughs> but in my book after that fight, after the Triple G fight, I, I think he's a champion. I just in his own he's he is should be looked at. I'm not saying he got robbed. He didn't get robbed, I don't think. I think Munguia came back and earned the right to keep his title. But Derevianenko earned the right to be thought of the way we think of champions. Put it that way.
0: Well, I'll say this about Derevianenko: for the people who don't know, his four losses came again. a split decision loss to Danny Danny Jacobs, unanimous decision loss to uh, Gennady Golovkin, uh, unanimous decision loss to Charlo, and a majority decision loss to Carlos Adames. But let me read you this: I McGee. thought that this was. Yeah, and now Mangia. But this was one of the one of the best quotes summarizing Derevianchenko's career. Uh, Sergio Mora, who works for the Zone, I thought this tweet was excellent. At thirty-seven, Derevianchenko's zero four in big fights and will probably never win a world title. A special fighter with championship heart and ability that just happened to fight in a generation with gifted champions. He's the Ukrainian Obakar. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I mean Sergey is a former champion, former fighter so he would sergio. appreciate sergio he would appreciate mora sergio mora who i call a yeah. lot of his fights even his contender fights uh on espn when he won the guy that's how he was found he won the contender against peter manfredo um and and he he got found and then he wound up going on to win a world title uh in in, in boxing and uh and now he's doing a good job as a commentator but He can make that statement because he's been there. He understands that. He understands that environment, that territory. He understands the the luck factor (laughs) to the point that you you can't choose what era, what time you're around and who's around during that era, during your era, during your time. You can't choose. It is what it is. And some guys get it a little tougher a little tougher than others. There was a fighter years ago, talking about history, there was a tough fighter, pretty good fighter, good puncher, Jerry Quarry. But unfortunately, he was around when somebody named Joe Frazier and Muhammad Ali were around. And that didn't bode well for him. But if those guys weren't around, maybe he wins the heavyweight title, to be honest. But um
0: I like the comparison to Obakar. So though, for those who don't know, Obakar was undefeated in, in ninety four when he came up against Felix Trinidad and lost his next loss was a majority decision to Ike Corte. Looks like he was, I'm not counting all the fights here, but it looks like he was close to 30-0 by the time he got to Trinidad or in, in or about 30-0. Loses to Trinidad, wins about six fights, seven fights, then goes in with Ike Corte, loses a majority decision, gets back on a long winning streak, and then gets Oscar De La Hoya and gets tk And then as he yeah. got older in 2001, he lost yeah. to Rafael Oba, Pineda. Listen,
1: Oba Carr was a... Excellent amateur fighter from the Kronk Gym with, a, with the late, legendary Emanuel Stewart. And he had other good trainers that don't get enough credit that came, quite frankly, out of uh, the Kronk that helped develop these great fighters that came from there, the Tommy Hearns and, you know, all, just so many, so many. A laundry list of great fighters that came out of Emanuel Stewart's Kronk Gym. Extraordinary. And Carr was one of them. He was a great average. Fifty-four, amateur.
0: six and one when he retired. Yeah,
1: he never. Fifty-four he, wins. That's
0: sixty-one said. fights. Is a lot of fights.
1: If he had somebody other than Trinidad and you know guys like Quarte as the champions. De La, De La Hoya. De La Hoya. was a hell of a fighter. He he may you know he may have uh, won a world title, but again, you you can only fight who's there. You can you can't control you can unless they come up with a time machine for fighters and i'd like to use it too to be honest if they come up with one but and you can go back and pick your error pick your time zone to be doing your vocation to be you know mastering your craft your trade unless that happens you you got to deal with what who's there and that's that it's just you know and again sometimes people aren't as fortunate as lucky to be around at the right time as some others are. You know, I, I, there's some people that might say if Floyd Mayweather was around in the 80s, would he have been undefeated? I don't know. I, when there when was guys like Tommy Hearns and Roberto Duran and Marvin Hagler, Hagler was bigger. <laughs> um, Pennell Whitaker, Aaron Pryor. I mean, uh, you know, those, that ilk of fighters, some of the greatest fighters, maybe of all time, um, that we're all fighting each other during that time. Would Floyd have stayed undefeated if he was around during that time? He wasn't around during that time. That's all we know. And he's undefeated during the time that he's around. And that's all you can, that's, that's it. That's all you can do. So to close up about the analysis that people want to get the full analysis of, with this fight, and I, I gave all the peripheral stuff, and more than peripheral stuff. Uh, You know, X-Factors, tangible stuff during the fight. But I thought Magee, I've been on him for his whole career. When he came out and knocked out Saddam Ali, which was some of the worst mismanagement ever by Saddam Ali's people to be in the ring with Magee. I mean, Saddam was a welterweight, and he was a good fighter. He was an Olympian, but... Uh, they put him in with basically a middleweight. It was a junior middleweight title, but they put him, he had won the title against an old Kodo. So uh, they put him in that and uh, uh, obviously it was a mistake. Um, it's easy to say afterwards, but I was saying it before. To go in, the guy was too big for him. And But Magee, I compared him a lot of times to like George Foreman, where he was a middleweight version of Big George. Good chin, good puncher, <laughs> but raw. He needed to develop. He was raw. He was too easy to hit. He was raw. And I got to say this, and I've said it throughout his career. He's improving. He's, a working, he's still a work in progress. But he has improved. Yeah, I know he's not there yet. There's still somewhere to go. But he's gotten better. If he hadn't gotten better, he would have lost his fight. He, he's still too easy to hit. <laughs> he's still a work in progress, as I said. He still needs to get better. But he has gotten better. He has developed from that raw kid. Uh, really. I don't know if everyone appreciates that. So I do. And he looks like a hell of a good kid too. <laughs> and he just wants to get in there and he wants to fight. And, uh, and he's tough. And he overcame. He showed the defin- my definition. I, I don't know what Webster's Dictionary definition of fighter is. <laughs> but mine is and always has been to overcome. And he he overcame, in that fight. But where he should also get credit, nobody would think he's cerebral because he gets hit a lot. And he's tough, and he's he's got a good chin, and he you know he overpowered, he he outwilled, if you will, I don't know, if he outwilled, um, Devon Checo because Devon Checo had a great will. But I think him being 11 years younger helped him a little bit. He He did what he had to do to pull this fight out of the fire. But one thing he did to help himself after the fifth round where he really got hurt was he started doing what I had said he should have done early on. He started using his reach, kind of like what Taylor, Josh Taylor didn't do against Teofimo. He started using his longer reach. And controlling range a little bit. Keeping Devonchenko at the end of his punches where he could catch him coming in. Where he could make it hard for Devinchenko to get to him. And make him pay a price to get to him. And when he started getting full extension on his punch, he, he he started doing better. He wasn't consistent at it, but he was much better at it. And Devinchenko wasn't consistent either with his output he throws a million punches but he's like a rainstorm then the, then all of a sudden the sun comes out and it's quiet and then the running comes then the sun comes out it's quiet boom and then the rain comes again that that's devon Schenkel. maybe because he's 37 he wasn't able to keep the pedal on the metal there were many times where he exploded all those punches and then there were times where he went dormant and and maybe it was 37 years old whatever but when he was raining the punches, he was winning those spots. And then when he wasn't, Mongea was winning those spots. So it created some close rounds. And again, I thought he had the edge going into the championship rounds, uh, he being Devin Schenkel. But Devin Schenkel, he comes at you almost like an Aaron prior. But not as, not quite. He don't have the power of having Pryor. But he comes at you with a lot of punches like Pryor did. And he comes at you with different angles. Where they're coming from different directions. And it makes it very difficult. Very difficult to navigate that storm. When that storm comes. Um, I thought that in the fifth round when... As I said, I thought it was extraordinary the way Maguia survived. Because he got hit behind the ear. I don't know if anybody saw that, but he got hit behind the ear, Ken, with a right hand. And that screws up your equilibrium really bad. And that's a hell of a difficult thing to overcome. And McGee overcame it. He overcame it. So, again, huge, huge kudos. Huge credit uh, to him. Huge credit to Devin Chanko for doing what he did in the 12th round throughout the fight, in the 12th round, behaving like a champion, getting off the floor. We've seen a lot of guys get caught, bad body shots, and they don't get off the floor. We see a lot that do get off. Arturo Gatti uh, was one that come to mind. Uh, but we've seen guys that, even recently, that haven't gotten off the floor when they've gotten hit that. Munguia, that's why I say he deserves to be he deserves to be thinking of himself as a champion in that way because ch- being a champion isn't just about how you fight, it's it's about how you behave. And he has the behavior, and not everybody does. He has the behavior of a champion, Devon Schenkel. So, um, I a terrific fight. Candidate for fight of the year. Again, I also t- always talk about the key was geography. As I just touched on. When Devon Chico got close, he's the shorter arm guy, the shorter guy. Less reach. He did damage. When Munguia extended his arms and kept it at a geography on the outside, he did, he did better. Um, so important. So important in the octagon. So important in the in a squared circle, just so important period in any combat sport you know so uh terrific fight uh, the the my only complaint of the night these promoters always have to put the fights on at the same time, the same day the same time, so I have to go back and forth and then do what you did the next day, watch the replay of it, you know, but um. And it was breaking my heart that I had to leave the McGee fight. I think it was like in the ninth, tenth round. I had to leave it to go to the Lopez fight to watch that. I was like, oh man, I have to leave this and stop my Twittering, tweeting, whatever that's called. And, you know, when fans are, I'm, I'm, I'm going over this great fight, this bond burn of a fight, and now I got to leave. And say, oh, that's it. I'll see you guys later. I got to go to Lopez and um uh, and, <laughs> and tell her, see you later. Talk about just leaving somebody in the midst of, you know, uh, in the midst of, yeah, you know, can he come back? Can McGee come back and save his title? All right, see you later. I got to go. <laughs> I mean.
0: <laughs> well. Let's uh let's jump over to the UFC. Uh not as entertaining over there. But before we get into it, uh guys, if you're listening and you like what Teddy's oh, to Oh on one his other thing, one other thing, one other thing, one other
1: thing. The only guy Ken, excuse me, but the only guy who looked better uh looked worse, I'm sorry, than McGeeah. Because McGee looked bad in that fifth round. You agree? I mean he was hurt. Yeah, of, of course. The only guy who looked more hurt was Oscar De La Hoya, because he saw another one of his cash cows, maybe his last one. I know he's got another undefeated kid, but I mean he he Does just he? lost well yeah he's got that I kid. don't know
0: that he has I don't know that he has anyone. The way he's behaving he won't have any fighters left and soon enough.
1: He has another undefeated kid. I can't think of it. Virgil Mexican- Ortiz yeah, yeah, Mexican kid, Mexican. I'm being Americans.
0: sarcastic when he's beefing with Ryan Garcia. I mean, yeah, I get what you say. If, if but, one of but your now, clients is is getting into it on 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 Twitter with you, you simply don't respond and talk to well, them offline. You don't beef true. with them in public. What the well, hell are he, you doing, man?
1: Well, he, Garcia was one of his big. The He lost Canelo, a while ago. Garcia was his next big one. He just lost a fight, and now he's losing Garcia. He still has him on the contract. I get it. Um, but he's lost him as far as any kind of relationship. He's he's lost him on what you were just talking about. So you could imagine what he was feeling at ringside, and they showed him on camera. He didn't look too good. I mean, he did not. Munguia looked like he needed smelling salts, right? But he... But he and and De La Hoya looked like he could have used some. Or maybe he did use some. I don't know. But um he he didn't he he looked like oh my goodness, if Magia goes down here, he he might need a stretcher. He, he he might really he might need ambulatory help um at that point, uh, after what De La Hoya's been through in the last you know, a few weeks. But, again, the heart of Magia came through, and, um, you know, he's, he's still there. He's still there, um, you know, and I, as far as I can see, at least that relationship hasn't been destroyed. You know, that's still good. Um, all right, go ahead. I'm sorry, I had to just get that in there.
0: No, I was going to say to the people listening, if you like what Teddy has to say about his uh, technical breakdowns of the fights and you'd like to learn some of the boxing fundamentals or basics, if you don't have any experience, or even if you do, if you'd like to brush up on some techniques, head over to Dynamic Striking. Go to dynamicstriking.com and look at Teddy's series. I think, what do you have now, Teddy? 14 or 15 episodes, 15 different... um... Yeah,
1: 18, 18 all together because a couple couple of them, I even have an MMA one up there now for striking for MMA, but which I had never done before. Uh, but I, I have three of them. Talk about cerebral. Three of them that are about just the mind, about how to be more confident, how to control your fear, your anxieties, your your doubts. You know, uh, and, and I have one that's about bullying, anti-bullying. Uh, how to deal for the young kids out there and the parents that are dealing with that horrible horrible trend, horrible plague that's actually literally killing our young kids out there, destroying them um this cyber bullying uh that these people and cowards can go on social media and just say terrible things to some kids that are sensitive and and don't know how to deal with that um so one of them is on the bullying which I thought was important. I thought it was important to do one on that because of that issue I just touched on um for kids and parents to to just hear a little bit about how to deal with that and where it's coming from and why somebody would bully somebody it's their own shortcomings. <laughs> it's their own defects. Defects. It's their own, you know, lack of uh what Toughness, heart, uh, it's not yours. They try to make you feel like a coward or like, like, you know, you're being bullied. They're the ones that are the cowards. They're the ones that are not sure of themselves. They're the ones that are weak. Not you. Not you. So, anyway, thanks for mentioning that. I appreciate it. Um, the other last thing to close on this McGear fight. The, the corner, we heard the corner say during the McGee fight not to throw any more left hooks. And you know what? It, it sounded good because he got beat when they were both throwing left hooks and he got hurt, McGee, in the fifth round. But you know what they would have been better off, Ken, telling him? Instead of telling him, don't use one of your best weapons. They would have been tell- better off telling him, don't drop your right hand when you throw the left hook. That's why he got caught. It wasn't because he was just throwing a left hook. Yeah, the other guy, Devonchenko's left hook, was a little shorter, a little more compact. But the reason why he got hit and hurt was his right hand was down. It dropped as he threw the left hook. And that's something that has to be corrected in the gym. That's a habit that has to be formed in the gym over and over and over and over again. (laughs) That's why you need trainers, you need teachers. It's so important. That's I mean that's something that has to be there automatically without thinking about it. So when you're in the midst of throwing a punch, you don't get caught a left hook because your hand drops. That's what they should have told him. But anyway, um thank you for talking about those instructional videos on dynamic striking website. Uh they hopefully people people have liked them. A lot of people have bought them. And um, a lot of fighters, a lot of parents that are teaching their kids. Um, also, a lot of fighters, pro fighters even I I know about. A lot of amateur fighters, but just a lot of a lot of white collar fighters that just want to know how to hit the bag the right way, you know. And uh, like I said, a lot of parents that just want to teach their kids the the basic art of
0: defense, you know. So we appreciate it. Well, the reason I brought it up is because, uh, I dropped all my kids at a sleepaway camp for the week yesterday. And, uh, it's always so stressful, leaving a little, leaving a little, uh, chickens, letting them fly out of the nest for a week. You know, I can't wait for them to go when they're here, but the minute they leave, I'm like, Oh, I miss those little bastards. And, uh, I said to them on the way, guys, keep an eye on each other, look out for everyone. And Cameron looked at me. Cameron's the one who does jujitsu. He just signed yeah, up for wrestling. Kid. I said yes. to him, I said, to him, guys, keep the alpha, keep an eye. the alpha, I said, and he's the baby, right? And he's got a mohawk. He's like that. He insists on having as soon as school ends. He just looks like a he looks like a crazy kid, but he's the he's the sweetest of the all of them. Yeah, but yeah. he's also the most fearless, or at least he hides it the best, and he's like, I said to him, keep an eye on each other, and he said, Dad, dead serious. He looks at me and goes, Dad, I'll, I'll keep care. an eye on everyone, don't worry about it. I'm like, I know you will, buddy. But um, he has been talking That's incessantly great. about, Dad, I can't wait till we get to New York, I'm gonna box with Teddy, because now, re- now I'm have now doing wrestling and jiu-jitsu, I'm gonna be ready for the UFC as soon as I get out of high school. And I said, well, buddy, I don't know if I'm going to be able to stand to watch you do UFC, but it's always good to know how to protect yourself. So he's all fired up. I sent Rob two pictures of him that I thought were uh, (laughs) pretty indicative of his attitude. He just looks like a little killer out there on the wrestling mats. But it's, uh, you know, one out of three didn't shy away from the contact. And it's like. (laughs) discreetly like a dream come true i'm just so happy to have something that we like really both enjoy and while i'm not delusional about his uh athletic uh achievements or endeavors i have my own life but i do love watching him excel at something that he's passionate about and hopefully he'll stick with it but uh so he's gonna watch the dynamic striking videos and he's all excited But uh, speaking of uh, MMA, And one other thing, one other thing
1: to go back to to Teofimo and them. And I think it's, I don't know. I I think, uh, like I said, we do a CAT scan. We try to do everything. Maybe it's not necessary. Maybe it is. But you had brought it up, and it was was talked about. They talked about it on the interview, the pre-fight interview with Teofimo, where he felt that the ESPN commentators were... Prejudice towards black fighters that they were biased, they weren't treating them right. And my 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 take on it was this: that, and I said it before the fight. That there's no bias again for black fighters. There's nothing like that. These guys aren't those guys. They're above that. These guys are former fighters. They they respect anyone who gets an average. There was a change. Because they were so over the top in describing him and doing his broadcast of his fights, the commentating of it, before he lost, Shenko, L- all that stuff. They were, they were so, you know, over the top, if you will, um, anointing him, like I said, to, to greatness that give him a chance. Give him a chance before you do that. And then, of course, he came down to earth. He loses to Kambosis. He doesn't look good against Martin. And th- he thinks they're knocking him, or he thinks now they don't like him. They're against No, actually, what it was was now they're just telling the truth. Before <laughs> they might have been... No, I mean, before they were telling the truth in their mind, too, that he was very good, but it was beyond the truth. They were doing a little howling for their meals. They were doing a little making their is happy their network it's on their network and building a guy up a little bit more than like i said give him a minute give him a minute before you go bonkers before you go bonkers and they went bonkers so he wanted to keep getting bonkers well who wouldn't it's like having a kid and you take the toys away after you spoiled them and, and gave them everything and now you say now we got to be more responsible about what we get. now what do you mean responsible you were giving me everything before. Give me everything now. What are you talking about? <laughs> so Theo Fimo's reaction was, I get it, it was like, oh, now they, they're this, they're biased, they're this, they don't. Because, no, now they're being more grounded, a little more realistic, and maybe a little more truthful um, with their assessments and constructively critical, which is their job. <laughs> Because you are doing some things wrong, you know. But it's gonna. But already you could see the chapstick is on, you know. They they they're using the chapstick already to puck up, to do a little <laughs> tushy, little tushy. you remember that movie Pretty Woman, where I was a great scene where Richard Gere has um Robert the the Pretty Woman, right? Robert's uh, what's her first name? The actually, um, yeah, Julia Roberts. They're on Rodeo Drive, very exclusive, very expensive clothing store, and they and he brings her in there and gives him his credit card and said, "Listen, I'm gonna spend, uh, I'm gonna sp- spend an insane amount of money in here. Uh, I, I want you to do a little tushy kiss, kissing. I want you to." I want you to kiss a little tushy. Whatever way he said it. I, I, want, I want you. And, and the guy, the, 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 um, the salesman said, oh, we're very good at that. We can do, we, we can, we can do that for you, sir. Okay. So get, go ahead. And that's kind of what they, they got their chapstick. The fight wasn't over yet. And they already had it up. They were puckering up. And they were moisturizing their lips to do, you know, to do some tushy kissing because it's back. He's back on top again. <laughs> and and all I would say is I would. They don't need me to want him, but I would just say, venture lightly, venture carefully. There, you know, don't overuse that chapstick. Don't overapply too much chapstick because when you overapply too much chapstick. The lips get sloppy; they get a little <laughs> sloppy, and 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 the and the the tushy kissing gets a little wet, a li- a little, <laughs> and and the wet tushy kisses aren't as well appreciated as the ones that don't have an overuse of chapstick. They n- they're not quite as well applied or even as well appreciated. So, again, Theo, it's back. It's back. It's back. Um, matter of fact, one of the commentators, I couldn't help it, he said, maybe. Just one of them, the main guy was like normal, you know, just normal. Like, you know, like the Titanic is sinking. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. oh, what? <laughs> yeah, you know, okay, what are you going to do? But one of them, the, the one that's a little more cerebral, said, maybe he's just as good as he thinks he is. That's calmed down a little bit. I, I know that that's how you make your living, that you have to make these melodramatic statements that sound the way they need to sound on the right side I get it but looking at the history we just went through don't you think you weren't saying that (laughs) in his last fight you weren't saying maybe he's as good as we think he is after Sandor Martin you weren't saying maybe he's as good as he thinks he is after Campbell. now he is now yeah. he okay. I'm just saying. Ken, I'm just saying. <laughs> Be
0: careful with the uh, I'm uh, just saying because you sound like OJ on Twitter. I'm just saying. Hey, no, no. I, I, I never sound like I never sound like OJ. <laughs> well, that's I his mean, catchphrase. Uh, uh, so <laughs> no. I'm just saying.
1: No, hey, I'm not. Ju- well, listen. I'm just. This is not OJ. This is TA. I'm teasing. TA. Big <laughs> difference. But what I am saying is just be careful. You've been down that road already. Of course. You've been down that road where you, again, I said it earlier, where you anointed a guy to Mount Rushmore of great fighters a little early. A little early. You know, yeah, he was, he was good. But part of it was, Taylor was bad. That was, that's, yes. that's, that's again, you don't like it, uh, go to another channel that doesn't give you that kind <laughs> of analysis. Because there's plenty of them. There's plenty of well, them that will, yes. will only give you one side and one look, and yep. and but I'm just I gotta be careful now. Uh,
0: <laughs> Sorry, you I I mean to screw? Up I, your just flow. Mean, <laughs> I just
1: mean, I just mean that you listen. should learn your lesson. Learn, we we ho- should all learn our lessons.
0: That's right. We gotta jump over and hit the UFC quickly because we got a great interview today that's gonna air. Yeah, and if we have to put it
1: off if we have to put it off a couple minutes, guess what? Okay. My friend, the great journalist, Jerry Eisenberg, the legend, he will wait a few minutes because he's great. And you know what? He didn't make it to seventy years in the business, ninety-one years old. 14 books. I mean, all the accolade, all the greatness that he's been, that he's exhibited throughout his career, he didn't make it there because he was in a rush or he (laughs) had no patience.
0: (laughs) Well, um, Well, listen, before we jump into the UFC, one other thing I wanted to mention. If you're gonna do the dynamic striking and learn some of the boxing fundamentals, the best way to feel good is to look good. So go over to boxraw.com, check out the Teddy Alice Collection 36, the number 36, which stands for 36 Minutes to Make Life Fair. If you know, you know, boxraw.com. Teddy's uh, got an awesome collection over there of boxing-specific apparel. Let's jump into the UFC. Charles Oliveira, looked an absolute world beater against Benil Dariush, which, you know, Charles can be a bit hot and cold early in his career. We've talked about this before. He had a reputation as not having the strongest mind. Um, he obviously, he had a loss against, uh, who Islam Makachev? And, uh, but my God, he looked like the Charles that people were afraid of for so long when he started getting his engine revving and he put it on Benil Beat the brakes off from first round stoppage, completely and totally one sided, um, stopped on punches, basically TKO. He just, he looked awesome. Um, How'd you like it?
1: Well, he is one of the most talented, explosive, well-rounded, experienced fighters in the UFC, maybe top five. That's how good he is, and that's why it's pretty extraordinary that Darius, who's terrific, was actually the favorite. And a former, I mean, against the former champion, Oliveira. But it speaks to what you touched on, and it speaks to what Anthony Smith, the Lionheart, who's one of my favorite people in the UFC, not only tough but very honest and smart and a great commentator, he he picked Dariush to win as a lot of experts did. And Smith said "When afterwards, when am I going to learn to quit picking against this guy? And why do I keep making that mistake? And it's funny, because we know how good he is when he's good. And he had won a bunch of fights. Not only did he beat, Marco, uh, lose, he, uh, yeah, he lost to Makachev, but before that he won a bunch of fights in a row, and now he's won this fight as an underdog. I, my theory... Is what you touched on. The reason why sometimes people still pick against him, as extraordinary as his talent is, and as extraordinary as he's shown us to be in that octagon, is because he hasn't always been mentally consistent. There was a time where he would give a little, give in a little bit, submit a little bit. And then he got past that time. And then he was just what he is. But even at that time... He always had as much talent as anybody, if not more. But he didn't have the mental part yet. And it was that part, which was 75% of this business and 75% of my business, the boxing business, the mental side, to be together in that way. Confidence, what you, mental toughness, whatever you want to call it. Mental resiliency, eye and will, whatever. But where that side has sometimes been a little lethargic and a little iffy but when it's not and it hasn't been for a long time when it's not he's as good as anybody if not better than anybody to be honest it's hard to imagine how anyone could beat him i mean and he showed that he showed that again against a very good dariush the early part of the round he was losing he was on the floor he's very good on the floor. On the mat, but Darius had the upper hand. He had him; that he was on top. He was trying to catch him strikes. Oliveira was defending pretty good underneath, but Darius was in control. He had the upper hand on the floor until later in the round. Then Oliveira gets up and he shows not only his explosiveness, his great power, his great talent how strong he is, all that stuff. But how verse again, how versatile he is. He's great on the mat. Now he gets up, striking, and he sets up this kick, a, a leg kick to the head. He throws a throwaway right hand just to set up the kick to, just to distract Darius, put Darius in position where he could throw the kick and, and Darius blocked the kick. But when you're getting hit with the most powerful part and muscle of someone's body, the leg, with that ferocity, with that expertise, you're still going to get hurt. And Darius got hurt. He went back. That's all Olivero, who's a great finisher, that's all he needed. That's all he needed. He jumped on him, striking, didn't let him recover, got him to the mat, you know, and then once he got him to the mat, to the. He he pounded and grounded, grounded and pounded, and he got the stoppage. Uh, again, just a reminder we forgot for a minute. Like Anthony Smith said, and Anthony Smith's as brain as anybody in this business. As he said, we sometimes forget. Don't pick against this guy. Don't pick against this guy. And it's hard, I tell you, uh, he's gonna get a rematch with. This is it? is it Magovich, right not Shamayev right Mogovich is the guy he lost to
0: right Islam Makachev uh, exactly
1: yeah he's gonna get a rematch I think he's gonna get a rematch unless our man Dustin Poirier after he beats Gagey which is gonna be a great fight um, you know that I could go either way I get it but I'm I'm gonna go with Anki and I love Gagey too but I'm gonna go with Dustin but unless unless the winner of that can can get uh, Makachev next uh, it, it'll probably be Oliveira I I, I would think um, and he came out of this as the commentators said as DC said he came out clean you know one round nobody expected this and Darius was again he was the favorite he was the favorite which makes you wonder like wow wow like everybody got it wrong and um, but just as I said, he's got to be one of the five most talented fighters, I think, uh, out there in the UFC. Uh, he's just that good. Um, yep. Shocking, I agree. shocking, shocking sudden victory. Nobody expected. I mean, most people didn't expect him to win, but no one expected him to knock out Darius in one round so and then we get to the goat go ahead ken we go we get to the goat and a special moment because she retired after the fight and um take us to that one
0: yeah you're right that's um amanda nunez ends her career retires after the fight she um she's always delivered just retires at the end of the fight with both with two two belts just um Just incredibly impressive that she's been called the greatest woman's combat sports athlete ever. A complete whitewashing of Irene Aldana. Um, I mean, the scorecards were 50-44, 50-44, and 50-43. One-sided, absolute beatdown. You know, she basically retired and said, I've done everything. I've beaten everyone. I mean, I'm sure that... um, what's the other girl's name that she fought that was um, in the crowd who was all upset because she retired, I get it, for uh, Juliana Pena. Juliana Pena did beat her via submission back in 2021, but she came back uh, about eight months, seven, eight months later in July. uh, Amanda Nunes did and beat, Pena on a unanimous decision so she goes out on top can't blame her she's been in a ton let me just see real quick let me see how many um title fights in a row she had because I mean wow so look at this she fought Misha Tate to win the title then she then she beat Ronda Rousey beat uh, Valentina Shevchenko. And and Rousey Rousey
1: was a legend the way she was. Rousey was thought of as a GOAT at that point. Yeah, Um, Olympic judo
0: player. Yeah, Raquel Pennington, Chris Cyborg, who people thought was unbeatable. Holly Holm knocked her out. Um, Jermaine Durandamine, Felice Spencer, Megan, Megan Anderson, Ju- lost to Juliana Pena, wins to Juliana Pena, and then beats Aldana. That's one, two, three, four, five, six. Seven, eight, nine. She had nine title fights in a row, won them all, lost her belt, then immediately got that back via decision and then beat Irene Aldana. Like, what a way to go out on top. We very rarely see fighters go out when they look like they're they're unbeatable, and uh, that's what Nunez does. She's got one baby with her her, uh, partner who was also, I believe, a fighter in the UFC, and now they're pregnant with their second daughter. Seem like very nice people. Congratulations to Amanda Nunes. How'd you like it?
1: I love the scene at the end where they have their little daughter in there dancing. That was pretty cool. That was yeah. pretty cool. A little daughter was in the octagon dancing. Like it made me think of my grandkids when they dance. It's just it's just so pure. It's so it's just so beautiful. But anyway, um, yeah. You know, I, I mentioned that when she she beat rousey who was thought of as a goat at the time a legend but the first one to beat rousey when rousey was undefeated and and looked like she was unbeatable going through everybody was holly mims the former fighter who i called some of her fights on espn the former boxer who extraordinarily then switched over to mma and you know uh became a great mma fighter too um and got to the UFC. That's that's pretty extraordinary, if you think about it. Just like Clever Shield, you know, coming from boxing, being a champion in boxing, and then going over for, what, a two fights in MMA? That's pretty extraordinary. <laughs> but Holly Mims actually went over, <laughs> made the transition, and then stayed there and made a career. Uh, Holly Holmes, Holly Holmes. Uh, Holly Holmes, I'm sorry. Oh, Harry, oh, thank you, uh, Holly Holmes. She made a career after having a career in boxing she made a career uh a great career in a in the mma and ufc so nuna's the goat um when she lost to pena for me she showed that by that she was the goat by doing what great ones do like sugar ray robinson who's thought of as the goat to many in boxing um you know Sugar Ray Robinson had almost hundred, what, hundred seventy fights, but he he was considered the goat. And one of the reasons why Robinson, for me, was the you you could think of him as the goat. All the f- fights he won, all the fighters he fought, his great skills, his his longevity, all of it. But anyone who beat him, and it was it wasn't many in his prime. He came back and he beat them in a rematch, usually by KO. That is one of the ways that you can measure a GOAT. And that's what Amanda Nunes did. She got beat, she came back, she won. Um, Aldana, for me, she never looked comfortable or relaxed in there with Nunes. Maybe part of it was who she was in there with, right? Reputation does precede you when you're the GOAT. but. Aldana, very game, very tough, but also very stiff and rigid. Almost mechanical, no fluidity. She did land one good straight right-hand counter in the first round when Nunes threw a wide punch coming in. But after that, Nunes, well, again, she showed why she's great, at least for me. She didn't lead with any more hooks, and she straightened her punches out and only threw at the right times in the proper positions. In other words, she corrected the one mistake she made that could have caused her the fight. She made no more mistakes. And that was Aldana's only chance, was if Nunes made a mistake. And Nuna's gradually started to take Aldana's apart piece by piece, like chopping down a tree. And uh, she showed, again, Aldana was game but outclassed, outgunned. And you know something, Ken, that was interesting to me? Even in the physical size, at first I thought, wow, Aldana is, so, is bigger than Nunes. She's a big girl. Yeah. Until I saw Nunes from behind and how broad and strong her back was, she was actually the bigger fighter and stronger. When I saw that, I said, oh, wow. And, and she's speaking about, of course, um, Nunes... She's so, so well-rounded, striking, grappling, smart. She faked takedowns to just get Aldana to react uh, to them, to keep her balance where she could open her up for other attacks. Uh, I mean, just really, she showed the whole package on, on a night that was good she did because it was the night that she left us to remind us of her greatness. So congratulations to Nunes for a stellar career. Enjoy your well-earned retirement. And as Ken said, it's really, truly great to see champions retire on top. We don't see it enough in boxing. Actually, I've seen too much of the opposite, where the greats stay too long. Nice to see greats walk away still great. Congratulations.
0: Yep, congratulations indeed. Well, we got a slow weekend coming up next weekend. So, Teddy, we're going to do, uh, and for the fans, we're going to interview the great and legendary Jerry Eisenberg coming up here momentarily. That interview will air one week from today if you're listening to this on tuesday what's the date june um 13th on the 20th we'll have an interview with the great jerry eisenberg just fyi i will be running across the Gobi desert so between that and the lack of uh activity next weekend we've got the great jerry eisenberger so please stay with us enjoy and listen the interview. i want to say
1: one thing to just yes just just to tease it a little as they say in the industry even though it doesn't need teasing Jerry Eisenberg has a treasure grove of stories in in every sport, but in boxing. That's our fan base, right? Boxing, UFC, uh, MMA. He has been and covered more champion fighters than anybody. He has covered Muhammad Ali at his peak and later on throughout his career more than any other journalist. And in his latest book his 14th book the one that we're helping him promote his memoir he talks about an era you know we were talking earlier about you can't choose the era you around you know you're around the era yeah that's it he was around in an era you talk about tough times we have tough times today but he was around in an era in the 30s or 40s later on but when he was young in the 30s with the Great Depression, with the threat of a guy named Hitler threatening to take over the world, and with fighters like Joe Lewis fighting representatives of the Nazi race at the time, Max Schmelling, even if that was unfair to Max, but that's how they represented him, and that Joe Lewis had to go in with that pressure, that pressure on him. To fight to rep- to fighting for the world. Really, in some ways. That's what Jerry's gonna talk about. So if I was you guys, I wouldn't miss it. There it is.
0: That's it. <laughs> That's that pretty much sum, sums it all up. Thanks for being with us this week, Teddy thanks for all the insight appreciate you and uh we'll be back with you next week with week with an interview with jerry uh, eisenberger and the following week we'll be back to talk about the Gobi desert and all the fight action good luck good
1: luck good luck and just i have just one thing get out of the desert get in get out
0: (laughs) one thing i gotta tell you is you talk about this all the time and i think about it frequently as this race is getting closer i was telling rob today before we started I would be lying if I didn't say I am so freaking nervous about this. Not Good. about the running. Good. Part. I'm not Good. worried about running. Good.
1: That means you're ready. That means yes. you're ready. That means God did its job. Nature did its job. It's it's got it's got its uh, its creation ready, ready for it's, what you're gonna face. At at, it's, at your best. Good. Use it. Control it and use it
0: experience is invaluable and I've done enough long events like Rob and I have competed at the Ironman in Hawaii multiple times and that's the kind of event where until you're in it, there's just things that no one can prepare you for that you have to experience. Same thing with a marathon. There's things that are gonna happen that you can't anticipate and you can't know until you know and like sleeping in a tent Eating freeze dried food for a week. There's so many things over the course of seven days that can go wrong. It's like that stuff is like keeping me awake at night and sleeping in the tent and trying to recover from a 28 mile run when you got a. You know mile the thought the next of it. Day. You
1: listen, I've said this on the air. You've been around me enough. You learned it. The thought of doing something is always worse than the act of it. Always. So don't let that thought. Don't let that imagination cripple you. Don't let it do what it does to some people. Use your experience. You've already been there. You've been in other similar situations. The the thought of it is worse than doing. You're prepared. You're going you're gonna to go in there and you're going to do what you made your mind up to do. You're going to go across the desert and you're going to do it great.
0: That's exactly right. But I just wanted to put it out there so people know like... Hopefully, you'll be hearing a good uh, an exciting and uh, victorious rendition of what happened, but uh, I'm certainly nervous. And I, my wife said to me, why are you doing this if it's causing you so much anxiety? I said, that's exactly why I'm doing it. The thought of being afraid to do something. To that be alive. Do is to bad. be alive.
1: Not, yes. not just to <laughs> exist. There's a difference, people out there, between existing and living.
0: That's, that's right. That's living. Go that's get it. That's right. Him. with that... We'll be back next week with the great Jerry Eisenberg. Thanks for being with us, guys. Everyone have a great week. Good luck in whatever you're doing. Thanks, Teddy.